now and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Story Welcome to the Narrator's Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Hey, it's Robert. So, I've been a part of this show for five years now, and one of the things that people ask me often when I talk about it is, what makes a good story? And to be honest, it's a question I don't like because people generally don't like my answer, which is, I have no idea. We just had our third show here in San Diego, and so most of the people who've done the show so far have been strangers, people who find us through friends of friends or who have heard of the show from somebody. A lot of people have asked about the story submission process or how we edit or clear their stories or what we censor. And here's the thing about storytelling. Have you ever been telling a story after a meal with your family and have someone stop you and say, stop, back up to the part where you found the panties in the console. Is there a way that you could insert a joke there to make sure that your audience, which is us at the time, can relate to your humanity or to drive home the point of the ridiculous of your situation? No. No one does that, and if you know people who do that, you should avoid them at all costs. Storytelling is popular right now. It's actually become a marketing buzzword, and there are a lot of people who might want to tell you that they have the answer for when somebody asks what makes a good story. And those people are wrong. There are no right answers in finding your story, just an endless sea of questions. And everyone navigates that sea of questions about their own lives, what is worth examining and what is not, according to their own secret maps. Even though I know next to nothing about the storytellers we've had on the show so far here in San Diego, I learn so much by listening to the questions that they grapple with in their storytelling. They tell me what makes a good story. They show me month after month. So when people ask me, What makes a good story, I'm trying to respond with, tell me a good story. Are you alive? Do you feel? What an amazing story you must be living. And with that, I'm going to let this week's storyteller bring you a treat. Uh, Today's story comes to you from Kendall Burdett. He's a writer and comedian and native San Diegan. He shared this story with us at our San Diego Beer Week themed uh, show at Tiger Tiger Tavern. The theme was bottled up. The show was recorded on November 10th. Enjoy. This, thank you again, Mary and Robert, for this great uh, night. And this exists now in San Diego, and this is awesome, and it's on a Tuesday, which is also great for some reason. No, it's great. This is this is amazing. Um, I thought, <coughs> excuse me, the theme "bottled up." I really I appreciated and I and I liked. And I, when I thought about the phrase "bottled up," it made me think of things in like absoluteness, and, and and by that I mean like absolute truth. Because if you bottle something up, you're doing it for a very specific purpose and and to create something for better or for worse. And there's there's a there's no in between when you either bottle something up or, like you were saying, as you release it. Um, it's either one or the other. It's either in and it's sealed and it's in a vacuum, and, or it's out and it's uh, and then it exists in that state and that's it. 
So uh, when I lived in Hollywood for for a couple of years, I worked as a uh, freelance writer and copywriter, which, if you were wondering, provides a shockingly modest living. And so I was there, as Matt might be able to attest to from earlier, um, I was there and I was doing that. And then I had a relationship, a long-term relationship end that I struggled to, I was trying to, in the, in the, in the attempt at brevity, I was trying to think of, a, of an analogy that would sum up how that breakup went down. And I now have two phrases. The first phrase I'm going to steal from an author named Terry Pratchett, who once described an awkward situation like watching an octopus fall from a tree. And that applies to this breakup because there was, it was a, it was a slimy, globular, undulating mess of tentacles, of feelings and tears and, and regrets and, and, and yelling and, um, and, and, uh, apologies. And, um, and weird, uh, phone calls and cigarettes and cigarettes and cigarettes and like all of these things. And then at the end of all of it, you're wondering what the fuck was an octopus doing in the tree in the first place? None of this makes sense. It's so, so nice to be over. But I'm also going to steal an analogy from Matt Castle. Castle? Matt? From the first. Casper, sorry, Matt Casper, when he described something as being like seeing a chipmunk with a dick in its mouth. Why does the chip, it's painful, it's awkward, it's upsetting. How did the chipmunk find itself in a situation to have a dick in its mouth in the first place? Is it human? Is it chipmunk? Doesn't matter. Now that it's over, those both describe how this breakup went down. And so the period following this of this nuclear war of a breakup was a, a self-reflective period for myself that, and by self-reflective, I mean just a depression that was so, that I chose to actually just fully embrace and it was glorious and terrible and super cliche. I mean, real classic, like mid-class American white male shit. It, like think of an endless montage of like Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> God, Godfather movie marathons, all three, all three. That's how bad. You watch the third one, you're not like that's too much. You're, it's on television. You're not getting up to change the channel. There's, there's, um, I, I, there was a lot of journal entries, and 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 which some of were were very reflective and productive, but there was also a lot of terrible poetry, rhyming and non-rhyming. None of it should ever see the light of day. And won't, and it was just this, you know, uh, this, um, this very long self-indulgent thing. And instead of the first part of it, I wanted to just become my little ball of, of self-indulged hate. And I wanted to just be the guy that walked around Hollywood Boulevard just with a face like you looking around at the people and they're like, and you're just resentful, not at anybody in general, but you have no direction. And so you're just resentful that they're happy. And you're like, you fucking people. Like, you know what he wants to be around somebody like that. This is terrible. But then there was another part of it that was that, that actually somehow I found a way to kind of become a little more healthy about it. And I had I had a friend of mine, Margo, who will pop up later in the story, who was um I want to make sure I don't go ramble on too long. Anyway, she would reach out to me. She was the friend that would just like she wasn't overbearing. She would just reach out from time to time and say, You wanna go and do something in the daylight? You wanna go hike, maybe? Do something semi-productive and healthy instead of just be this like self indulgent thing? And I would say, No, no, no. That was my voice. I don't know why I did that voice. But you know, like in general in a general sense, you're like, Ugh, I don't wanna God, I don't want to see daylight. So anyway, she would reach out. During this period of time 
I managed to get myself a, uh, I got a, I got a, a moving violation. I ran a stop sign and I didn't run the stop sign, but I like went through and I made the right turn and it was ridiculous. And I remember this only because I, I got it in my head that I was going to fight the ticket. And the reason I was going to fight the ticket wasn't for any like civil liberty, like expression of like, I am going to fight the ticket because I think this is ridiculous. It was because the cop in his stupid cop face said this, like, he said one of those stupid cop things where he's like, and I'm like, listen, there was no one even around. It's like, no one's, no one even lives near this intersection. He's like, oh, the rules are the rules, son. And he didn't say son, but he did say the rules are the rules. And I really hated that. And I made that the focus of my recovery out of this like depressive pit of horribleness. So I got the ticket and then I went to court. You plead not guilty. Then you get another date to go back and then you're going to argue your case. I go to the court. I'm in a suit because I feel like you should wear a suit when you go to court. I don't know why, but I was very excited about some like wingtip shoes that I got a really good deal on. And I wanted to wear a suit just for, I wanted to wear a suit. I don't know. So you go, you go into the, you go into court, you go through the metal detector. You walk up to the metal detector, there's like a, there's an array, there's an army of like austere green and brown, you know, sheriff's deputies and you just go and you put your thing on the conveyor. We've all been through a metal detector. You go through, I'm like overly described. Goes through, I go through the metal detector, it beeps. I'm about to say, I realize I haven't taken my belt off, I'm about to say to the uh, deputy, I'm like, oh, my belt. But he looks at me and he goes, no, 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 you're good. Go ahead, counselor. Go ahead, counselor. I realize in an instant, two things. One, he thinks I'm a lawyer, and I realize that the only people that go to court are either cops or um, criminals or lawyers. And no one else is wearing a suit on this day but me. He thinks I'm a lawyer. So instead of correcting him, I just assumed the mistaken identity, and I said, kind of gave him a look like, "Mm, okay. And then I, and within the five feet from the from the metal detector to the end of the conveyor where my messenger bag was that I now envisioned as a briefcase, I assumed the mistaken identity of I am a lawyer, I have Esquire at the end of my name, I graduated from a respectable two-year law school. And I said, thank you, deputy. And then in my head, I audibly heard the sound from law and order. And then I was, I was briskly walking off up to argue my ticket. I go up to the courtroom, and I, and there's the massive, there's a, you said the mountain earlier, Robert, as a, like, as a word, as a way to describe the size of a man. This was also, this was the Grand Tetons. This was the other guy. This was like, this guy was so huge. In my head, I pictured him living, he like came from Stonehenge, and he is like bailiff monolith. And I walk up to him, and I, I'm gonna, he's got the clipboard, he's checking people in, and I say, I see him here, and he's like, so he looks at me, and he goes, what are you, a lawyer? And I'm like, huh? And I hear in my head, and I'm like, no, actually, I'm here to argue a ticket. And then this punk, I'm, I'm trying not to cuss so much, but he's like, he's like, he's like, I say, I'm here to argue a ticket. He's like, good luck. I was like, that wasn't necessary. But okay, all right, I get it. So I go in it, I sit down. Uh, I'm waiting, judge comes in. A few people are called, she calls me up. And I say, she says, Mr. Burdett, you're here to contest a, a, a ticket stop sign. I said, yes. And she's like, well, the uh, attending officer that wrote the citation is not able to, wasn't able to appear in court today, so I have no choice, but to, um, your, your case is dismissed. You, you're no further fines, et cetera, et cetera. You're free to go. I didn't actually expect a successful outcome of this endeavor. And I, and I thought, so my first response was, uh, what? 
And she's like, you're the case dismissed. You can go get your paperwork from, from the bailiff. So I walk over to bailiff Stonehenge and I make sure to look him right in the eyes. And as I get my paperwork, I thin my eyes just briefly because he scared me. But I thought, you know what? Kung Kung. That's right. So then I left. I call my friend Margo. I'm like, I'm elated. I don't know how this plan with this ill-advised plan worked, but it worked. I call my friend Margo. I'm like, I got out of the ticket. And here's what happened. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. And I know that's what I said. I didn't say that, but that was the thing. She's like, that's great. You need to come out finally and you need to celebrate. You need to come to big gay karaoke. And I'm like, I don't want to go to big, big gay karaoke. I don't care about the big and the gay part, but I'm not a I'm not in LA anyway. I'm not a karaoke person because karaoke in Los Angeles is no joke. Cause <laughs> It's, it's a town packed with super talented people that take these things very seriously. And so they, they're really, really good. And you can go to karaoke, but if you can't sing, you're not going to partake unless you're, unless you're insane. So I said, I, I'd rather not go to big karaoke. And then Margot, being the good friend that she is, said, you know what? That's stupid. That's dumb. You're coming out. Cause every now and again, you need a friend to grab you, like, uh, proverbially by the, by the, by the neck and go, you're being stupid. Knock it off. Quit being a dick. Let's go. So I said, all right, I'll go. So I go to Big Gay Karaoke. The only reason it's called Big Gay Karaoke is because it's in the middle of West Hollywood, and it is literally, that's literally what it is. It's big, it's gay, it's karaoke. There's no <laughs> further. It's, it's, it is amazing, it's fantastic. Everything is covered in glitter and or, or, or ridiculous huge wigs, and the, I mean, the whole thing. It's so great. End of the night, I was, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna go. This is so great. I met new people. I did new things. I was like a, a I was like a, a completely trans transformed person from the from the person I was just like a few days ago, let alone like, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever. Margaret says, you gotta meet my friend Sam. Sam's the host. I go up. She's like, Sam, the host of karaoke. This is this is Kendall, my friend. And Sam's like, wow, this is great. Thank you for being here. I'm like, this is this is fantastic. I don't have words. This is so great. I have glitter everywhere, and I love it. Um, I don't know why there was so much glitter. There was really a lot of glitter. Um, he's like, all right, it's great that you're here. It's your first time. I said, yeah. He's like, well, there's, um, there's something you need to know about, about, about this karaoke show. It's once a month, but there's a couple rules to big gay karaoke. And the most important one being, if it's your first time, you have to sing. And I said, oh my God, that's not my thing. Cause I can't sing. Everything else is fine. I just can't sing. He's like, you don't get a choice. You're, um, she told me that you're here and you're, you're going to go up and sing. I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. Now I just want to be home and I want to be watching Wes Anderson movies on a loop. And I'm like, this isn't my thing. He's like, well, he's like, listen, you're going to do it. You don't have a choice and you're going up next. Grabs the mic. He says, ladies and gentlemen, blah, 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 this and that. Our next up, first timer, Kendall Burdett. First time here at the Big Gay Karaoke. He's going to sing Kelly Clarkson since you be gone. And... <laughs> We all know that song. It's a great song. It's super great to sing if you're drunk or yelling or in the car or by yourself. But if you're in front of a throng of hundreds of people, it's terrifying. And I realized I now have two choices. I can either kind of walk up to the mic. I can either bail. That's out. Or also I can just own the situation and just do it. Or I can like mumble some like apology. Well, I can't really sing, but I'm going to try to do this anyway. So here we go. Lame. You can't do that. So I realized that today I've already been a lawyer and that worked out fairly well. I'm going to try this new thing. And I am now seeing the world behind those hazel eyes. And I am Kelly Clarkson and I grabbed the mic and I absolutely, listen, I don't, I'm not, 
there's no vanity in this next statement. I absolutely crushed it. 100% nailed it. It was insane. My shirt got ripped at some point. I crowd surfed. I nearly broke my neck. And I was driving home. <clears throat> it was... It was, it was glorious and terrible, but it was, I was driving home and I was thinking about all these new things that just happened and, and this is so great and I'm just like so happy and I may or may not have been playing Kelly Clarkson on, on the iPod on repeat, but whatever. And I'm in my, in my headspace and I'm not paying attention and before I know it, I've accidentally run a stop sign and I got pulled over and got a ticket for running a stop sign, different intersection, different cop, and I realized, all right, there's, the, okay. I did, and so with it, I got the ticket, and I didn't argue, and I and I paid it on time, relatively. <laughs> Again, well, on the salary of a freelance copywriter, but um, I realized <clears throat> there's truths in life, and you can either accept them or not, but it's not going to make them any less true. And oh, I just lost my train of thought at the most pivotal freaking moment. <clears throat> Look, it's, here's it, here it is, guys. It's death and taxes and heartbreak. These are unavoidable, they are true, and they are often super hard to understand. There is, there is, um, that's one. Those belong together because they, they all are awful. There's love, and there is love in everything, and the more we seek it, the more we find it. And then, if you have nothing else, you have nothing else to believe in. Sometimes you can just go out and find big gay karaoke, and it's, it's unrelenting joy, and that's just, you know, life should be more unrelenting joy. Thank you for the time. Kendall, we're dead. That was awesome. Thank you so much. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Aaron Rollman, Mary Robertson, and me, Ron Doyle. I produce and record the podcast with engineering assistance by Josh Johnson. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. The Narrator's podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. The next time you need a photographer, remember From the Hip Photo. You can learn more about their honest and unforgettable service at fromthehipphoto.com. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by Breckenridge Brewery, making balanced, approachable, and interesting handcrafted beers in Colorado for over 25 years. Check them out at breckbrew.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite mobile podcatcher. For more information and to find past episodes, visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.